One man, one mission. To equip the Church of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit and to awaken the Church to the voice of the Spirit, David Cuppet brings you to the School of the Holy Spirit from his many missions from around the world, where he aligns with apostolic leaders to eradicate spiritual blindness and reveal the true authority of believers in Christ, to prophesy, heal the sick, raise the dead, and cleanse the lepers. Open your heart and get ready to receive all the Holy Spirit has for you in this week's session of the School of the Holy Spirit. School is in session. The dream I'm going to talk about today is about birthing. In order to birth something properly, I think we have to identify how the Lord births something, okay? Um, And there's a couple lies that prevent us from truly becoming what the Lord has called us to be and what the Lord has called us to do. Um, And it's around some false theologies, some false understandings uh, with what the church really is and what the church is called to do. Jesus, Jesus said this in John 17 with the disciples. He says, I pray that they would be one with you, Father, just as I am one with you. Right? And so Jesus was baptized in the Holy Ghost. He heard his Father. Jesus said, I only do what I see my Father doing. Right? So Jesus was moved by the Spirit. Everything Jesus did was not from a humanistic soul It was from being tapped into the Holy Ghost and following the voice of the Lord to do a specific thing in a specific time in a specific place with a specific mission. He was unified, okay? The world and the watered-down church basically brings everybody in kumbaya and you get watered down into a a, uh, compromised... Um, feel good, trying trying to keep a people happy type of mentality. And if you go into churches across the United States, the one thing that irks me the most is when pastors are more concerned about entertaining and keeping people happy than being tapped into the Holy Ghost and releasing the power of the gospel to the to the to the church, equipping the church, awakening the church. So if you understand the concept that. Unity is only in the spirit. It's not about people coming together and just loving one another. Okay? That's, a, that's humanism. That's, that's actually pacifying broken souls. Oh, just, we're going to put our arms around each other and pamper each other and make everybody feel good. Right? And you say, well, where's that at? Well, if you get into Matthew 11... Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace. I came to bring the sword. I came to bring my word. I came to speak and I, I would divide you. I will put people in their own house against each other. That does, is that Jesus? That's, that's what the Bible says. That's what Jesus is. You cannot be unified in purpose and birth something until you are all gathered around what the Spirit of God is saying and moving and driving you to. And you, you literally give your life to the call, to the purpose, to the, to the push that is needed in the unification with the Holy Ghost. He didn't call you to be unified with a, bot, with a, with a group of people and to uh, patronize and, and just let everybody stay the way they are. And, pat, and pamper their souls. Pampering souls is not where the power of God comes from. And what the power of God is for. Okay? Ephesians 3.16, we talked about this last night. This is, this is Paul's prayer for the church. He's, he's saying, I pray that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through the Spirit in the inner man. He's, the word strengthened is the word kratos. It's actually the prophetic utterance, the dream, the vision, right? Why did Jesus go to the cross? It wasn't just for sin and separation. It was actually so that you could hear his voice and be strengthened with might in your inner man. What's the inner man? It's not your soul. It's your spirit. The inner man is the heart that you would be one with the heart of God. You together would be so unified that you would hear him and he would be your strength. Instead, we got a church being strengthened by things that are way across the board instead of the voice of God. You know why? Because the majority of the church doesn't know the voice of God. The majority of the church doesn't tap in and depend on the voice of God. The majority of the church, shoot, the majority of the church, if you, if you look at the statistics, most pastors pray less than 15 minutes a week. 
What a lie. False shepherds all over this nation producing humanism. Humanism is not Jesus. I don't care if they read a Bible and, and make it sound like that's Christ. That's a lie. Human, humanism will never birth what only the Spirit of God can do. Right? So you will be strengthened with might, dunamis, the supernatural power of the Holy Ghost. And in, and, 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 you know, all right, so getting, it, getting into the unification of the Spirit, is the purpose of the Spirit just to sit still and allow you to sit in your chair? Well, that's what the majority of the church in America does. Just come and come on Sunday and we don't have to work in our prayer life. We don't have to work in our purpose. We don't have to work in our call. Do you believe that Stephen Tabby have a call? Are you part and unified in the spirit of what they're called to do in this region? Tearing down strongholds, breaking new ground, building, planting, baptizing people in the Holy Ghost. So have you given your life to that purpose? Unified in spirit? Or are you just a Sunday pew sitter? Now forgive me, I'm not here to hurt you. But Jesus said, unless I divide you soul from spirit, you're, you cannot fulfill your call. You are actually living a lie if you're thinking about being, having your soul pacified and your feelings pampered rather than giving your life in the purpose and the calling of Jesus Christ. Right? So when he said, I pray that you would be one with the Father, just as I am one, he's saying, I pray that you would give your life. How did Jesus function? Jesus got up. Jesus went to pray, right? When Jesus prayed, he would come back and say, okay, guys, he's sending us to the woman at the well. The next day, okay, guys, he's sending us to feed the 5,000. The next day, guys, he's sending us to turn over the money tables in the false church. He's taking us in to tear down what is a lie and a false representation of my kingdom. They were unified. Jesus was unified. And the only way that you will ever follow through with birthing something is to lay down your life in prayer and birth it through. I believe the altar call that you heard this morning was actually the punchline of what we are called to do as a true body of Christ in pursuing to hear him, rising up on your feet and being called to action in what the Lord is speaking to you about that you will execute it. All right? Still with me? All right, so I got a question for you. What is the gospel? It's an important question because unless you know what the gospel is, you will not birth anything that is of the Spirit. Most guys that say they have a call of God in their life in America have birthed a humanistic form that reproduces humanistic people. It reproduces something that's powerless. And Jesus Christ is not powerless. He's the most powerful force in the universe. Right? He gave His life to hear His Father's voice. And to go do his will. Behold, it is written in the book of me, I come to do your will, O Lord. Right? So outside of the will of God, which means you have to center your life around finding the will of God in a prayer life, knowing how to pray, right? And that's, if you don't know how to pray as you ought, why? He, he gives you the gift of tongues, right? So that you pray in the Spirit. He promises to answer you and speak to you through the power of the Holy Ghost in visions and dreams, right? And He directs you unified as an individual with Him and as a body in a purpose, right? So the essence, the most, the most powerful element of a church is really not even the Sunday morning. Sunday morning's about awakening. It's about, you know, baptizing people, getting people called into the fro, but the most powerful essence of a church is in how they gather together in prayer and pursue a purpose, pursue a cause, tear down the idols, tear down the strongholds of the land, break through something, call forth something, hear the voice of the Lord and you begin to prophesy something that is unseen and you call it forth because that is what the Spirit of God says. Are you with me, church? Amen? Thursday morning is the most powerful element of what you guys do right 
you call it forth out of Thursday morning. If, if, if I were to pick one, one thing that is done in a church that's the most important, it's not Sunday morning. Okay? It's actually what happens when nobody sees, when people are up here on their face and they're actually crying out for the Lord to pursue Him with, with a spiritual language, hoping and depending on Him to speak. And as a, as a group, you rise up and you begin to prophesy the vision of the Lord and you call it forth. And you become unified in purpose because you burst something. You gave your life, you laid it down, and when you stand up, you're ready to execute what he's calling you to do. Amen? Amen. So I have to ask you a question again. What is the gospel? Right? If you understand what the gospel is, what the true gospel is versus what the lie is, you'll chase the gospel and leave the lie alone. Okay? Galatians chapter 3, verse 8, it says that, um, well, I'll just read the scripture. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, in you all nations will be blessed. Wait a minute. The New Testament wasn't written. The Old Testament wasn't even written. You ask 99% of the church about the gospel is their easy answer is they hand you the Bible. Based on what the scripture says, that's not the gospel. Oh, I'm just going to read the Bible to, today and that's how I'm going to embrace the gospel. And don't get me wrong, reading scripture and learning scriptural context is important. But the true gospel was preached to Abraham before there was anything written. Before the, There was no hope. There was nothing else. There was nobody who followed him. And suddenly the Lord says, I'm going to come preach my gospel to the one who's going to birth something. Right? A dream. It says that the Lord came to, to Abraham in a dream. It came, he came to Abraham in visitations. And he spoke to Abraham, and, it, and, and, and even the New Testament says that Abraham believed when there was no reason to believe, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. So what's the gospel? Jesus went to the cross. If you ask the majority of the church, Jesus went to the cross so that we could just come do an altar call and, oh, I claim, I claim Jesus. I claim him. He's my Savior. Well, do you, know the, does, do you know the gospel? Do you hear his voice? Jesus, Jesus said um, that you would dream dreams, that you would have visions, that you would have the opportunity to hear the gospel from the Father just as Jesus heard the gospel every day. So the gospel is about a relationship. A gospel is about hearing his voice. The gospel, the true gospel and the true power of, of what Christ did on the cross is that he said, stay in this city, right? After, after he went to, to, to hell, it says he took the keys of death. Now he holds all the keys of life and death. He holds all authority, all power, and he rises up out and he speaks to those. He says, I'm going to ascend you stay here until I send the same power upon you. I'm going to send the same ability upon you the same, that no longer will it just be Abraham who heard the gospel, but it will be you who hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I will come to you personally. I will come to each and one of you personally that couldn't happen before the cross, but after the cross, I will come to each one of you personally and I will speak the gospel to you because there's a call of God on your life. There's a purpose in your life. I'm calling you to grab hold with me in unification of what I've called you to do, and I'm going to depend on you to birth it through, to carry it and birth it through, to raise it up and cause it to prosper. Come on, it, sa it says that Abraham had to believe when there was no reason to believe. He had to, he had to birth something. He had to believe it. He had to carry it. He had to hold it, Right? And so, let's just talk about this birthing thing for a minute. Are you guys with me? Everybody okay? I'm, I'm not crazy on this gospel thing, right? But it's important because the majority of the church, 
they default to the Bible being the gospel. Do you know that when, let's just talk about the, the book of Acts. Let's just talk about the New Testament. You know, the New Testament wasn't written for like 80 years after Christ. There wasn't anything written. They couldn't just plop a Bible on somebody and give them a quick altar call and say, oh, you're good. You said, I believe in Jesus. No, you know what they did? They pursued the Lord in prayer. They birthed something in prayer. They rose up and they said, okay, the Lord says, I'm just like the Lord sent Jesus Christ. The Father sent Jesus Christ to the woman at the well. I'm going to Samaria. I'm going to Judea. I'm going to Turkey. I'm going to India. I'm going to Africa. I'm going to Decapolis. That's where the Lord is sending me. And the only thing I have is this spiritual connection, this baptism of the Holy Spirit, this gift of prophecy, these words of knowledge, this ability to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. Because I'm depending on what? Not a reference tool. I'm depending on the gospel, the one who speaks. All I have to do is look into somebody's eyes and says, this is what the Lord says to you today. Just like last night, I'm still in love with you, girl. I'm even more in love with you today than I was last night. That may be hard to believe, but I have fallen in, I have, I fell in love with you last night and I'm falling in love with you again in this moment because I love you, says the Lord, and I'm going to lay my hands on you in the days ahead like nobody's ever seen before. And my love is going to burn in you. My love is going to burn in you. My love is going to burn in you because I had you on my heart when I died and I have you on my heart right now in the name of Jesus and I desire that you would commune with me and dine with me and hear my voice because I have a purpose and a call for you like no other and you are going to burn you are going to burn you are going to burn for me come on man that's the gospel that's the gospel he will speak through you he will release his presence through you he will confirm his words with his power do you know the gospel those guys in the book of Acts that did something supernatural, all they had was the gospel, the real gospel. Not what the modern day churches watered it down to be was some philosophy. Most of the church is about philosophy. I'm going to read John chapter 1 and it's going to make me feel better today. Come on. Come on. That's soul pleasing. That's soul pleasing. When, when Paul prayed for the church, I pray that you would be strengthened with might in your inner man. He's talking about a spoken word, a dream and a, or a vision from the Lord that would strengthen your spirit, not pacify your soul. You have, to, you have to learn, are you soul driven or are you laying on your face waiting for the Lord to come on you that you would birth something and know what the gospel is preaching today? Strengthen me with might in my inner man today. You see, that's the difference between a church on fire and a church bound in passivity. Well, we've been dealing with this issue for 15 years, and I'm hoping, Margaret, that my soul just gets it today. Can I tell you, your soul's probably never going to get it. If you, if you live to pacify your soul, worried about uh, healing wounds and all of that stuff, you're never going to get it. That's a soul-driven motive. That's humanist. But a spirit-led motive is I have to have my God today. He is the lover of my soul. I know him, and I know he burns for me, and he has a word for me. He has a new dream for me. He has a purpose and a call for me. And I'm going to dig and dig and dig until he speaks. Are you Holy Ghost-centered, or are you humanistic? Come on, man, this church, this, church, this church is on the verge of birthing something. Amen? This church is on the verge of birthing something. So I have to get to this scripture. This is uh, Isaiah 26, 17. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you about a dream that I had. Um, but before I tell you about the dream, there's, there's, there's a symbol in the dream that the Lord gave me that had this particular scripture on it, okay? This scripture is Isaiah 26, 17. 
As a woman with child is in pain and cries out in her pangs, when she draws near the time of her delivery, so have we been in your sight, O Lord. Okay? There's a difference between receiving prophecy versus believing something when there's no reason to believe it until you birth what the Lord said would come forth. Right? And so, the promise, the, the, the way the Lord has commanded us to live is by faith, right? Right? The un, we, we, we do not live by what we see. We live by the vision the Lord gives us. And we hold forth on that vision in faith, knowing that if the Lord showed it to you, He is, he, he is, he is so good, He is so powerful in His promise that He would bring it forth. That's what made Abraham righteous, right? And that's what makes you righteous, whether you believe it or not. It's not a simple trip to an altar call. It's about realizing that the gospel was brought forth to all men through Jesus Christ and not just through a single group of people. It was brought forth to you all that you all would have the dream and the vision of the Lord. That your, your life would be centered around hearing and knowing that you're being called to birth something. You see, if you don't know if you're called to birth something, you really don't realize that you have a purpose and a call in your life. And you're willing to just sit there in the chair. What is it, like a pickled, what did I say last night? A pickle in a pew. You know, pickled juice. You know, dried up cucumber. Just sitting in a chair. (laughs) All right, I better get off that one. Galatians 4.27, for it is written, rejoice, O barren, for you do not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor, for the desolate has more children than she who has a husband. This is a prophetic picture that when the Lord gives you a vision, that you would hold forth that vision, knowing full well that in due time and season that that vision would, would be brought forth. Okay? For you live by faith, not by sight. Not by a soul wanting fixed today, but by a spirit, your spirit man, your inner man, holding on to the dream and the vision of the Lord and praying through till it is birthed forth. Not growing weary, not allowing your soul to weigh you down in, in the four years, in the two months, or the seven years, or whatever how many years or time it is, Right? If you allow yourself to slip into the soul, you will begin to whine. You will begin to get heavy. You will begin to allow yourself to be weighed down. You will even be willing to give up your dream. Has anybody been so weighed down with doubt and unbelief that you're actually even doubting if the Lord spoke to you lately? Or even years ago when He prophesied to you that you would become something supernatural and maybe it hasn't happened yet in the name of Jesus I break that lying uh, power of the soul that is attached to the demonic entities of this world that allows you to become a victim of hopelessness and despair instead of the power that is brought forth in the dream and the vision because the Lord promised I will strengthen you with might in your inner man. If you lay on your face and you begin to birth this thing, you begin to call forth the power of the Holy Ghost and the anointing that is upon the dream and the vision. All right? Amen? Amen? All right. So I'm going to give you a context of the Lord took me to heaven, and I want, I want to give you the context of where He took me. Um, in, in Revelation uh, chapter 4, verse 6, it says, Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. Revelation 15, 2 says, I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who had victory over the beast stood on the sea of glass. You want victory over the beast? Yes. What I'm going to talk to you about is about a, being positioned in a place to have victory over the beast. Okay? Now, I've never been taken to this place before in heaven. This is, when, when the Lord took me to heaven, I didn't know what the sea of glass was. He, he started to talk to me about it. And um, in the last week, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's got my attention. Okay? And so, 
in this, in this vision or in this encounter, the Lord took me up and I was standing in front of the throne of Christ and um, the Lord was holding a torch and written on this torch was this scripture that I just read to you, Isaiah 26, 17. I'll read it to you again. A woman with child is in pain and cries out in her pangs. When you're carrying a vision, you are in pain, right? When she draws near the time of her delivery, so have we been in the sight of the Lord. Okay, so I'm standing in front, of, in, in front of the throne and the Lord gives me this torch with this Isaiah 26, 17 scripture written on it. And he turns me around and he's, he's standing beside me in this, what appears to be, a, you know, like in Washington, D.C., um, in front of the Lincoln Memorial, what, what's that, uh, the reflection pool? That's what it looked like, Okay. It was, it was the sea of glass, but it, it looked like that reflection pool. And he took me over, and we knelt in front of, of the pool. Okay, and when, when we knelt in front of the pool, the, the Lord said this to me. He said, this is one of my favorite places in heaven because this is where you work out your prophecies. This is where the dreams are worked. He just started to talk about birthing. Okay, and I'm... I'm, I'm Standing, I'm, I'm kneeling now in front of the sea of glass um, as, he, as, as he is speaking to me about this. And he then, he then made this promise to me. He said, whoever you pray for in front of this place, I will promise to visit again in dreams and visions. Okay? And so this is where it gets good. This is where you guys come into play. Okay? So I stared into the sea of glass, knowing the promise that he just spoke to me. And when I stared into the sea of glass, this is what I saw. I saw a river um, run, running, running through, and um, I saw a crocodile, okay? I saw, I saw Steve and Tabby in the church, and there's this theme. I've been coming here for five years, and for five years I've had this theme about crocodiles, okay? And so... Um, I see, I, see, I see this river running through. I see Steve and Tabby with shovels in their hands, um, just like this one. And they're handing shovels out to the body. Some people in the church are grabbing hold of their shovel. Others are not. But those who are grabbing hold of their shovel fall um, in unification with them as they enter into their fight with this crocodile. And I see, I see this river's flowing, and this crocodile is working really hard. It's trying to build a dam on the front end and the back end. It's, it's trying to make a pond out of a river. It's trying to make stagnant water out of flowing water. Okay? You getting a picture? And I see Steve and Tabby giving commands and I, I see a group of people on the front side of the dam and the back side of the dam. And, you know, with all kinds of passion in their heart, doing whatever it takes to dig and remove the dirt so that that water won't become pond water, but that water will continue to flow through. Okay? And there's this war. There's this fight going on. In the midst of this, there's this fight going on. The crocodile um, would swim down to the side where the water was starting to break through and chase away those who were digging. And after it chased away those who were digging, it would build the dam back up on that side, swim back up to the other side because on the, on the front side, they were digging, that group was digging enough to get the water to flow. And so the crocodile would come back up, chase everybody away, from digging, right, from birthing, dam it back up, and Steve and Tabby would take people down on the backside again once, once they would get that opened up. So there was this war between the crocodile and the church fighting those who, who, who had the vision and the dream, fighting to keep the water flowing versus the intent of the crocodile to, to pond up the water. And at this point is where it really got crazy. The Lord looks me in the eyes in, in, the, in the encounter. And he says, you need to study why a crocodile thrives to live in a pond versus living water. And he starts talking to me about how, how a crocodile reproduces, okay? And so he, he, then, he then proceeds 
um, to, speak, to speak this last thing to me um, about the importance of keeping the, the water flowing. And what I saw at the end of it was that the crocodile finally got pushed downstream because the church, because more people came together shoveling in the purpose to keep the water flowing. And the, and the water started to flow so fast that the crocodile literally lost its spot, gave up its spot, and got washed downstream. Okay? Amen? Okay, so you got to understand what the intent of the crocodile is trying to do and why the Lord spoke to me about understanding how a crocodile reproduces. Okay? And I... I am, I am not a bi- biology guy by any means or anything like that, so I didn't know this. So I, I go start to research about how a crocodile reproduces. And he, did you know that a crocodile will only lay eggs in one of two places? If it's in a swamp with stagnant water, it will build a nest, um, and, and it just it lays its, its eggs in, in the midst of the, the, the swampy water because it doesn't fear the water. The water doesn't move. And as long as the nest, even if it's sitting over top of water, it's still going to, re- the, the, the little crocodiles are still going to come out of the eggs, right? It, it has no fear of being washed away. Or if it's in the midst of, of flowing water, um, it will come up on the bank and lay its eggs on the bank, right? Are you getting the picture? The crocodile cannot thrive and reproduce in flowing water. Okay, and you may say, well, what is what's the significance of the flowing water? Well, everything. Revelation 22, one through four, and he showed me a pure river of water of life coming from the throne. Right. Where there's uh, trees on each side of the river for the full promised healing of the nations. Right. Ezekiel uh, chapter 47. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple where there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, going down to verse 9, and it shall be that everything that moves through the river, wherever the river goes, will live. Right? Life is in the river. Amen? Life is in the river. Life is not in stagnant pond water. Right? And you may say, well, what what does that mean? Well, in, in a humanistic place, whether you call it a church, an organization, I don't care what you call it, but in a humanistic place... The intent of the humanistic soul is consistency, no change, everybody fitting in, and we all come together and sing kumbaya. There is no cause. There is no purpose. There is no heart cry. There is no need to give your life to anything. There is no need to burst something. There is no need to hold on to a dream. There is no gospel. So I don't care if you call that a church or I don't care what, whatever. If they fit that definition of stagnation... Jesus actually had a name for it. He called it the dead church. Lifeless. Unable to reproduce. Well, you say, well, what, what do you mean by, what do you mean by uh, living water? Didn't Jesus say, when I baptize you in the Holy Ghost, out of your belly will come forth living water? There will be a flow come out of you. Is there a flow coming out of you? Or is there stagnant water sitting inside of you right now? Right? When's the last time you cast out a devil? When's the last time you prophesied over somebody? When's, you, when's the last time you laid hands on, on somebody? When's the last time you heard the vision of the dream of the Lord and he sent you to a place? He sent you to a person. You say, I don't care what it's going to cost me. I'm just going to go pray for this person. I'm going to let loose the gospel. If the answer to any of those questions was not since last year or I've never done it, I've got I've to ask you a question. Have you met the real Christ? Because the real Christ has living water. The, the living Christ has a flow. And you say, well, what, where's, what's the scriptural reference for that? Where, what do you mean, right? We call come to church. We all sit in a pew in church. Well, did you know that contrary to what the majority of the church defines as all we need is love? That, that, wasn't that a hippie motto? Wasn't that a Beatles song? All we need is love. <laughs> All we need is love. And you even have humanistic theological positions on what is the gospel. How many of you heard this? 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14, where Paul's talking about the gifts and he has love sandwiched in between it, right? How many of you heard the theology is, well, 
we're justifying that we really don't need the gifts, which is actually a relationship with the Holy Ghost, hearing what the voice of God is saying, what the true gospel is leading us to do, not thinking we have a purpose. All we need is love. All we need is love. Come on. Uh, <laughs> you got the picture, right? All we need is love. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So you got the wrong definition, man. Jesus defined love. Let's go back at what I started with. Jesus defined love as being one with the Father. Right? That you would be one with the Father just as I am one with the Father. That when I come, when the true gospel comes, I will challenge, I will separate soul from spirit. I will separate your tendency to become passive, sit in a pew, and do nothing for the rest of your life. I will even put father against son, mother against daughter. That's his words. I will separate what is unable to reproduce from what only my gospel can reproduce. The power of reproduction. The power of birthing something. Right? So if you understand that love and hearing the voice of God are one. There is no such thing as being baptized in the Holy Spirit, giving your life to Christ, and you never heard God. That's fake. That's a lie. You've gotten tired denominations um, interpreting Scripture in that answer your altar call and then justifying sin and everything else that is an absolute lie from the devil trying to keep people. It's actually a demonic theology that keeps you from being separated from being soul driven versus being in love with the one who teaches, preaches and prophesies to you, who talks to you, who releases the kingdom of heaven to you. Amen. So when you read 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and you hear Paul say, I pray that you all would pray in tongues and prophesy. He, sa he, says, um, he says, desire, he actually says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, desire love, desire it. He's actually talking about being one with the Holy Ghost. Desire love. Desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. You know why? Because the only way prophecy comes is through a birthing process. You say, well, well I've never, I, I, I think I was baptized in the Holy Ghost. I think I may have prayed in tongues once or maybe never. Well, can I tell you this? That until you enter into the spiritual life and begin to lay on your face, chasing after the one who promised you that he will speak in dreams and visions and prophecy, and you pursue Him and you learn a life of the gospel. You literally learn to lay on your faith, face and birth something knowing that He's calling you into the secret place, that He is going to speak to you, but it comes through a relationship where you center your life around hearing His voice. Right? Are you with me? And, and, and to just continue this real quick, it says... Uh, he goes on to talk about the church and how the church should function in 1 Corinthians 14. So after he teaches you about the gift of tongues and, and how the gift of tongues is to work in a church, he goes on to talk about prophecy, the real gospel, the people who hear the voice of God being the centerpiece of the church, being the centerpiece of purpose and calling. He says this in first, uh, chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 24. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all, and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among them. He's talking about you, the church, hearing the voice of God. Centering your life around hearing the voice of God. And when anybody new comes through, people jump up because they get words for that person. You ever see somebody um, that gets so undone in the Holy Ghost when they get called out of an audience? Right? I got a word for you. I got a word for you. And people, they've never heard the gospel before. But when they hear it, they... they, they I, I saw a vision of you, and this is what the Lord says that you've been hiding, and now the Lord is calling you 
because there's a plan and a purpose for your life and they start to shake because that gospel is breaking them out of the prison of dead humanism, of the powerlessness of the dead soul, of the hopeless despair of the dead soul. If you, if you center your life around trying to pacify your soul, we need a wake-up call. You will never achieve a healed soul. The, you, you, act, you actually um, have to have a renewed spirit and a soul that is submitted to the spirit. Not a spirit that's submitted to your still in need soul. The problem is the majority of the church in America in our humanistic culture is humanistic built and unwilling to dig unwilling to fight the crocodile that is trying to dam you up you see there's a lot of there's there's a war going on okay there i don't know if you recognize it but just because you got baptized in the holy ghost doesn't mean it's the end all say all right Stephen Tabby? right there's a war because that crocodile Let's say Satan, let's call it Satan himself, knows that inside of you, if he can bring your soul back into action and you become motionless, powerless, don't pursue the gospel, and you just sit there pickled in that chair, he's going to damn it up. And pretty soon, Stephen Tabby went from having 20 people on Thursday morning digging and digging and digging, birthing and birthing and birthing, prophesying and prophesying and prophesying. And they're down to three people. And they no longer have enough people to cover both sides of what the crocodile is trying to dam up. And pretty soon, instead of having a living river, you got a stagnant pond. Because more people are connected to the stagnation than they are the flowing river. You may say, well, that's kind of hard, Dave. No, listen, if you don't grab hold of the concept, you're wasting your time in this whole gig anyway. If you don't grab hold of the fact that, that he called you to dig, he called you to birth, because there's a purpose in your life, and not only is there a purpose in your life, but there's a purpose in their life. They were called to dig, to dig, uh, to dig a well, right? There's a flow that comes out of the well, but there's a flow that comes out of a river. And the more people you have digging on the north side and the south side, the quicker that crocodile gets floated down the river. And as that river begins to flow, just as the promises came out of, of, uh, the, f- from under the throne in the book of Revelation, and the water gets deeper in, in the book of Ezekiel, in the prophecy in Ezekiel, as the water gets deeper and the flow gets stronger, wider, higher, the love gets more emboldened, the purpose and the call gets more emboldened, more people begin to dig where they need to be digging. And pretty soon you have others digging other directions where the water will flow. Have you been digging in your own life so that the water will flow? You see, if you don't have a prayer life, you missed it, man. You missed it. And I'm here to save your life. I'm here to, I'm here to, to lead you to the gospel. I'm here to lead you to the gospel. And you may say, well, I've been a Christian for all my 20 years. And I've been to church. I never even missed a service. Well, tell me about your prayer life. Tell me about how he speaks to you. Amen. Tell me about how you follow and pursue and, and fast and pray re- without relent. And hunger after your God that thirsts for you, to th- that you would thirst for him just like he thirsts for you. And you may say, well, man, you're, you're kind of hard. For a Sunday morning, man, we're just here to sing kumbaya. No, I'm here to waken an army. I don't know about what your calling is, but I'm here that you would be transfigured just like that book explains, that you would have such an encounter with the living God that you would pursue Him, that you would actually be so undone and in love with Him as, as, as He is in love with you, that you would knock on heaven's door, you would beat it down, and He would reveal an encounter, impart something to you that is so supernatural that you couldn't be stopped. Those are the people who are going to go into these dead churches. Those are the people who are going to get the guy who, who is bound in dead Catholic religion or even dead Methodist religion or whatever, whatever theology it is that allows people to just sit there, stand up, sit down, sing the doxology three times and out the door you go. Tell me about the last time you heard God. 
Tell me about your prayer life and tell me about how you literally beat on heaven's door until he speaks to you. Tell me how you align with your church in this purpose and calling. Know that you are called to tear down the stronghold in this region. How you are called to literally cut the head off of the dragon that flies over this place and laughs at you. And he's looking for people who will not let that thing puke on you. Not let that thing rule over you. Who will dig and dig and dig. This is just a prophetic symbol of you giving your life. Of you entering into the calling of Christ. Right? You know, there's uh, the most powerful place where the shovel is used in the Bible is when Jesus um, is referenced as he will get out his winnowing fan. The winnowing fan is actually described as a shovel. And it's a place on the threshing floor. It's the place where the wheat is separated from the chaff, where the soul is separated from the spirit. It's the place that when the, when the spirit is so in love and beating on heaven's door becomes so set on fire that the chaff gets separated from you, that you are no longer soul driven, but you are spirit led and empowered, anointed, baptized in the Holy Ghost. And a shovel has to be brought out to get all the chaff out of the way so more wheat can come in and be separated again, just like you learned to be separated on that threshing floor. And I'm, I, I mean, all right, so you guys, there's a lot of people in here spirit-filled, but there's not a lot of people in here who are, who are truly in their calling, who have given their life to the purpose and the call. And I'm going to say this, I'm going to say this boldly. If you are not, if you don't feel like you're in the call in this house, then you should go find the place where you're in the call. Because you should stop living the lie. If you are in the call, if you are in the right place at the right time in the right season, then you should get in line and begin to birth what this place is supposed to birth. Because I don't know if you figured it out, but there is no life in Zanesville. There is no burning ones in Zanesville. There are no places that people flock to because they know that when they get in the place that somebody's going to prophesy to them, that somebody's going to run up to them and cast the devil out of them. There are no other places. So I challenge you, if you have not found who you are in Christ that have not given your life to pray relentlessly, to birth what the Lord has called this place and Tabby and Steve to birth, I challenge you, either run out that door or you run to this altar. Because anything in between is a lie. It's fake. It's pickles in a chair. Amen? It's pickles in a chair. So if that's you, if you're feeling the call of God, I want you to stand up out of your seat. And what we're going to do up here is uh, we're going we're gonna to pray for you to take hold of this shovel. And I, I, I want to break the fear off of you right now because here's the deal, guys. You may say, well, I don't know what that is. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that does. Do you know why he gave you the gift of tongues? So that you could actually enter into the Spirit by your heart and your heart only. Not by you trying to figure out, well, I give more money in the basket, so I'm righteous. I come to church every Sunday, so I'm righteous. That's humanism. Spirit-to-spirit connection is a life-giving thing that only Christ can give you. And so when Paul says in Romans 8.26, For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Holy Spirit makes intercession through you. For the Spirit knows what the heart and the desire of the Lord is. It's rigged in your favor. And all you have to do is come with a willing heart and begin to say, Lord, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, but I'm going to enter into the Spirit. When I got baptized in the Holy Ghost, I didn't know what I was doing, but I couldn't stop praying. I would lay all night. Shano, me, sito, bre, ah, ne, 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 ne. And it took a few months, but in a few months, I started getting flooded with the vision of the Lord. He couldn't stop talking to me. And I started speaking what the Lord would say to me. And suddenly, things started changing all around me. I was a drunk. I used to drink myself, drink the soulish pain away before that girl over there was on her face in my house praying for me. I didn't even know she was interceding for me. She was actually digging the chaff out 
away from my life, something I couldn't do, and she would lay on her face in my house. Well, I didn't know it, and she would pray. She would intercede. She would just pray in the Holy Ghost. And so when I got rocked by the Holy Ghost, I had this thing in me. I didn't know what it was, and I would lay, and I would just pray. I don't know what I'm praying for as I ought, but the Holy Spirit makes intercession for me. I didn't know it, but I was digging. I was digging something. There was a flow being birthed. And he makes it that simple, that if you would just come to him in the Holy Ghost and be willing to pray his way in the Holy Ghost, and I don't care if you don't, if you're not, he's not looking for super righteous people. Those are called Pharisees. He's looking for the innocent who would come and say, Stephen Tabby, I don't know what to do. I've never done this before, but I feel this burning thing in my gut. I've got to be part of this. And if you just sit me and allow me to lay at this altar and begin to pray on Thursday or whenever you guys gather, I want to be part. I want to dig so that the flow would not be stopped in this house. It would actually increase. And there'd be people from the north, the south, the east, and the west come and flock to this place because there's, there's, there's people that gave their life to birth something, to birth a place where the Spirit of God would flow. So I encourage you, don't just sit in your chair because you're afraid that you don't know what to do because the Lord said he'd make it simple for you. You come to me at my altar. I will baptize you in the Holy Ghost and fire. You will pray in tongues and prophesy. That is the pattern in the book of Acts. You will pray in tongues. Fire will come upon you. And all of a sudden, the Lord will speak visions to you. And all you have to do is get up and follow. And the river flows. It can't be stopped. Thank you for joining this week's episode of the School of the Holy Spirit. For more information or to request David at your church or conference, please go to davidcuppet.org, D-A-V-I-D-C-U-P-P-E-T-T dot O-R-G, or fivestonesministries.org. You can also find the School of the Holy Spirit podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Charisma Magazine. For a deeper dive into the Holy Spirit, we encourage you to purchase David's new book entitled Transfigured, The Call of the Horsemen to Awaken the Church, available on Amazon. We pray that you will encounter the Holy Spirit in a transforming way and become all that Christ has prophesied over your life.